Go with me, if you would, this evening to the book of Romans in chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, and I would like for us to consider this evening the first two verses. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present yourselves a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You may be seated. As we have just read these two verses, I would like to start by asking you, how are you reacting to these two verses? My bet is it's not the first time you've seen them. Undoubtedly, if you have known Christ for a period of time and you've been in, uh, under good preaching of the Word of God, which I know that you have, somewhere along the way you have heard messages on Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And again, I ask you, how do you respond to it? I remember when I was in high school, yes, it was after having accepted Christ, but I was still in that process of maturing spiritually and, and learning to understand things. We went through a semester, there was about 14 weeks in that semester, and I will bet you in that once a week chapel service, at least 10, 11 times in those 14 weeks, the chapel speaker got up and preached from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And I'll be honest with you, I got tired of it. I would go to my locker after that last class before chapel and I'd drop my books off and I'd grab my Bible and I would start heading to chapel and in my mind I'm thinking, yeah, I already know what the guy's preaching today. I, I guarantee you he's going to Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, as if we've never heard that before. I don't think there is another fundamental independent Baptist pastor anywhere here on the planet that can preach from anywhere but Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And as I would go to that chapel service, I was breaking up in my mind a stronghold, like the Apostle Paul speaks of in 2 Corinthians 10, 4, a, a, a stronghold in my mind, an unbiblical, ungodly stronghold against Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. So again, I ask you, how are you responding to it? Do you have a positive reaction or do you find that your reaction is somewhat negative? Because recognize with me this evening that a negative reaction to a biblical passage is by definition an unbiblical reaction. So let's look over again these two verses and ensure that we understand what they're saying and then come back to how, we're, how we are responding to them. Again, the Apostle Paul says in, in verse 1, I beseech you. Now, Paul uses this term beseech in a number of his books that he was inspired to write. In this particular case, we understand why he is using it here, and it is because of what he has said in the last verse of the preceding chapter. Chapter 11 and verse 36 says, For of him and through him 
and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. Amen. And then he says, I beseech you. How are you responding to that? I beseech you, therefore, brethren. So this is a message to Christians. Paul was in Corinth when he wrote this, some 900 miles away from Rome, whether by land or by sea. But he is addressing the brethren, those who are in Christ. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies, God's pity, God's compassion on us, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies. Now, again, as a young person, when I get to that point, I would think that's odd. Why does he say that you would present your bodies? Why doesn't he say that you present yourselves? Why the reference to the physical? Well, Paul spoke of the body quite often in dealing with the Christian life. In Romans chapter 6, he said, Neither yield ye your members speaking of your body, as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God and those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. We read in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. The Christian's body is the abode of the Holy Spirit. So, in fact, our bodies are representative of our whole selves. The word body here draws our thoughts to the Old Testament sacrifices representing the totality of life and the activities of someone of which the body is the vehicle of expression. So he says that you present your bodies a living, lively sacrifice unto God. And recognize with me as we go along that Paul is speaking here of a complete sacrifice. Holy, pure, blameless, consecrated, acceptable, fully agreeable, on God's terms, pleasing, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable, your rational, your logical service, your ministry, your worship to God. Verse 2, be not conformed, be not fashioned like, be not conformed to the same pattern. As we read even in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 14, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance. 1 John 2.15, love not the world, be not conformed to the world. That system of beliefs and values, the thoughts and contemporary values form the world's moral atmosphere which is always dominated by Satan. We read in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 4, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ who is the image of God should shine unto them. The world, be not conformed to the world, but be transformed, metamorphosis, a change on the inside that reflects itself brilliantly on the outside, as seen in Christ's transfiguration, as his divinity was manifested in the exterior, so should our conversation be manifested in the exterior. Be ye transformed by the renewing, the renovating of 
your mind. And I, honestly, in today's world, I could stop here and do a complete detour into something else. Recognize the importance of your mind from the biblical perspective because this understanding is completely lost in our society today. I cannot believe the extent to which our society is based on sentiment and feeling and emotion. People don't analyze problems today to find solutions. They whine about problems and stop there. We live in a society that has completely lost the understanding of using the intelligence that God has given us to analyze specific circumstances and determine what is the right thing to do in those circumstances. We live in a world that is according legal standing based on how somebody feels. It's unbelievable. In other words, in today's world, everything starts with emotion. This is how I feel. Those feelings affect that individual's thinking. So because the feelings are bad, now his thinking is bad, which is affecting his actions. So now his actions are bad. And the problem is, is this has gotten into our churches. And somebody's in there and they'll say, well, you know, pastor's just been preaching for so long in that book. I'm wondering what he's going to get. We have bad emotions, bad feelings, and that's affecting how they're thinking. I just don't think pastor's on the right track here. And then that begins to manifest itself in bad actions because now I'm talking to other people about it. That is not the biblical formula. In relation to the mind, it starts there. The Bible says, and we're going to see this in a minute, we renew our minds. I might have some emotion. I might have some sentiment. I might have some feeling about something, but that cannot be the driving force in my life. I go to the scriptures and I renew my mind. And I allow the renewed mind to affect my actions. And once the renewed mind has affect my actions, now I have good feelings. But feelings and sentiment are results. They cannot be the driving force. When the Bible speaks of joy, it speaks of what we must do to have that joy as a result. So let's understand this by renewing your mind that ye may prove what is that good, beneficial, and in this case, good is not describing directly the will of God, but rather the will of God's effect on the life of the believer. What is that good and perfect as incomplete will of God? So we've gone through them. We've looked at them. We've endeavored to understand these verses. We've looked at the words. We've explained them. We've done our exegesis. What conclusion do we come to? We come to the conclusion that these two verses are saying just exactly what we thought they were saying. That we are to be a complete sacrifice for the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, how do we react to that? I remember again as that high school student, you know which word in these two verses irritated me the most? Reasonable. Because I said, okay, God's God. He's the all-powerful. And yes, he has saved me. And yes, he does have the right to tell me what to do. 
So if God has determined that I've got to be a complete sacrifice, I have to give all 100%, okay, I'll do it because that's what I'm supposed to do. But don't tell me that it's reasonable. Because in my way of thinking as a young person, anybody that asked 100% of me or of something that was mine was by nature unreasonable. So is this idea of the complete sacrifice a reasonable thing? Well, consider with me the doctrine of the ransom. A ransom at the time of Paul was a price that was paid to buy back a slave or a prisoner. Now we read in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 20, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. So we know from that verse and we know from many other verses in the New Testament that the Lord Jesus Christ gave his body for us. He was sacrificed in our place. Christ paid the ransom. And this ransom was not paid to the devil because Satan is an adversary to be conquered and not an authority to be appeased. This ransom must be paid to satisfy the righteousness of God. So the price paid was the suffering and life of Jesus Christ providing expiation through his blood. Christ's substitutionary death on the cross constitutes the most glorious and blessed truth of the scriptures. Christ took our place in submitting himself to God's divine punishment for sin, as seen in 2 Corinthians 5.21. And Christ was not content simply to pay a ransom. He became the object against which was demonstrated the just and divine wrath of God. He suffered our death. And he carried our sins. So is the concept of a complete sacrifice reasonable? It is beyond reasonable. What is unreasonable is when we ignore the tremendous sacrifice that Christ made for us, when we refuse to consider its implications, when we dilute its significance and excuse our neglect of its importance. How dare we beg God to forgive our sins through the work of Christ on the cross, yet we maintain an attitude of wanting only to live for ourselves. That injustice is apparent, and it is condemning. Given all the spiritual riches that the Christian enjoys thanks to God's compassion, it is logical to assume that the Christian owes God the highest form of service. And the reality is, it just makes sense. Why would I have that negative reaction? Outside of the fact that I'm just being remarkably stupid. I'm having that reaction because I'm allowing myself to think that there might be something that I would prefer to being a complete sacrifice. And recognize with me this evening that it is absolute lunacy on our part to think that we know ourselves better than the creator that created us. Let me give you an, an illustration of this. When I was in college, I was able to go to Togo, West Africa. And prior to that, I had no inclination to Africa at all. I knew I would be a missionary, but I'm thinking much closer to home. Mexico, nice country, Latin America, maybe at the most northern South America. But I was thinking a little bit more closer to home, was not thinking about Africa. But this trip came up and I was asked to go and I thought, hey, 
Africa. I'm a single guy. That sounds pretty adventurous. Maybe I can go there and have some stories to tell my kids when I eventually have them. And so I went on this trip to Togo. I'm telling you, within 24 hours, I was completely smitten. I couldn't believe it. In the States, when I thought of being in Africa, it's like, no way. But here I am sitting in a village in a Wednesday night service within 24 hours of getting into that country. And I was completely overwhelmed with the fact that these people, whom I cannot even understand, are singing to, praying to the same God and understanding his same word. And the thought occurred to me, hey, I haven't declared a country. I could come here to West Africa. And it was immediately followed up with the thought, no, there's no way that this could be God's will for my life because I'm just liking it way too much. And if I like it this much, it can't be God's will for me because we all know you're miserable in God's will. And I walked around for a week and said, what a shame. What a shame I can't come here. What a shame. In my devotions in the morning, I'm telling God, what a shame. And finally, after a week, he managed to start getting through. And he said, you know, Bob, you're an idiot. Don't you think I would have created you with my will for your life in mind? You like being here because this is what I am intending of you. This is what I want you to do. And I'm going to tell you, we, the Lord continued to work. That area of West Africa turned out to be the Ivory Coast. The Lord has allowed us to be there for 24 years. And I am begging for 24 more. Amen. There is no way that I could ever plan my life to give me any more contentment, any more happiness, any more thrill, any more fulfillment than the life we've had in the Ivory Coast of West Africa. What a foolish individual I was to stand there and think that God was being unreasonable with me. Giving myself in complete sacrifice is what opened the door for me to have a life that I would not trade for anything. So it's reasonable. It's beyond reasonable. So we've established this from this first verse. God is expecting that we be a complete sacrifice for him. It's not speaking of action. This is state of being. It's not that we act as a sacrifice. It's that we are a complete sacrifice for him. So how do we do that? How can we be a complete sacrifice for him? Well, see, that's what we get in verse 2. And be not conformed to this world. Now, this word and is an interesting word. You know, oftentimes, as, as I was a professor of English in high school, we explained that oftentimes and functions as a coordinating conjunction. It can, in fact, attach to independent ideas. So you express the first idea, and you put a comma in there, and you put the coordinating conjunction and, and you can then go on to the second independent idea. But that is not really what we are seeing here in verse 2. The word and is indicating a continuation of thought, a means of accomplishing what has been stated. 
So let's look again at verse 2, because this gives us the key for maintaining ourselves in the Christian life as a complete sacrifice. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, Paul wrote this as well to the Ephesian church. So let's very quickly get over to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. And let's just go directly to verses 22, 23, and 24. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22, that she put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to the, according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that she put on the new man, at which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. So what are we to do as Christians? Well, you know, Paul very consistently in his epistles remembered Christians where they had been in their lost life before you did this. And that's never a pretty list. It's always pretty disgusting, the list of sins. And he says, now you do this. But if we are honest, <clears throat> we do not always act in the new man. The reality is we are still sinners. We are saved, but we are still functioning in this dreadfully corrupt body. And we have temptation, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life. It is a continual battle. What must we do? We must start in recognizing those things in our life that do not belong there. And they're there. Upon recognizing what does not belong there, decision must be made that those things are going to go. We are going to remove them from our life. So let's take the example of lying. I remember as a young Christian, I got convicted of this. I was, I was uh, a, I guess I would refer to it as a convenient liar. If it was convenient to lie, that's what we did. To my parents, to other authority, if I didn't want a hassle, if I didn't want punishment, boom, out it would come. And as a lost kid, oh, what a consistent habit in my life. And I got saved and I accepted Christ, but that tended to continue. And the Lord convicted me of it. And I identified it, I identified it, I said, you know what? It is my responsibility to not lie, to speak truth. I identified the problem and determined it had to go. What's the next step? We see in verse 23, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. This is the searching of the scriptures to know and understand what they teach concerning the subject that you, that, that the thing that you want to remove from your life. It is allowing the Holy Spirit to give comprehension as we understand in a systematic manner all that the Bible says concerning this thing that we need to remove from our life. Here's where we go wrong. We can be reasonably adept at determining what ought not be in our life and may be as adept at determining what should be in our life. But we have this awful habit on determining these things to think, well, I already know what the Bible says about that. So we don't consult it. And we do not gain 
the power and the ability necessary to really affect what is taught in Ephesians 4, 22, 23, and 24. Recognize the cleansing effect that the Word of God has on the mind. So although I realized lying was wrong and I needed to get it out, I would have been extraordinarily foolish to just say, well, I already know what the Bible says about lying. No, I need to get out my Bible with the cross-references. I need to get out my topical Bible. I need to find as many passages as I can that deal with that issue. What does God say about lying? What does he say about honesty? What are the consequences of lying? How did God treat those who lied to him? I need to study these things out. I should be marking down on paper what I'm learning. And upon uh, studying all the passages that seem to deal with it, I need to organize my notes and put it in some systematic train of thought, and in so doing, I have now availed myself to the possibility of actually affecting this change in my life. I have allowed the living written scriptures illuminated to me by the Holy Spirit to have its proper effect. So, so I did with lying. And then the third, the third step, we must make the decision to put into practice that what we have learned from the scriptures, replacing the old, sinful, unscriptural thoughts, attitudes, and actions with new, righteous, scriptural attitudes, thoughts, and actions. And it is in this simple formula, if we maintain it in our lives, that we can be that complete sacrifice for the Lord Jesus Christ. Because we are, in fact, removing what he doesn't want and we are developing what he does want. And as such, we are that sacrifice. Now, in conclusion, it is indeed true that I'm a missionary. So, you know, I've got to have a missions application for you. When we speak of missions, typically we, we speak of going, we speak of praying, and we speak of giving. So let's ask ourselves some questions. Do we need to put off some ways of thinking in relation to going? Do we need to put off selfishness and a desire to do what we want? Do we need to put off fear and intimidation? Do we need to put off a negative reaction to the idea that maybe God will send us somewhere else? Do we need to put off an inordinate desire for the status quo? What do we need to put off? And upon determining what must come off, we get into the Bible and we renew our mind with what the Bible says about God's will and his plan for our lives. We renew our mind with what the Bible says about God and his wanting our best, how his best is so much better than our best. We renew our mind with what the Bible says about his goals and aspirations for us and, and that these things exceed those that we have for ourselves. How God gives the necessary gifts for what he wants us to do. How we can accomplish the qualifications in our life. We renew our minds with what the Bible says about this. And then we put off, we put on, excuse me, the desire to know and to accomplish exactly what God has for us. We put on the desire to be a constant witness for him no matter where we are. What about praying? Anything we need to put off in relation to prayer? Well, maybe we need to put off our attitudes 
of laziness in relation to prayer. Maybe we need to put off our questioning as to whether or not God is actually listening. Maybe we need to put off our fear as to what God might require from us because of our prayers. Maybe we need to put off our ignorance of what the Bible really says concerning prayer, recognizing these, these things and realizing that they must go. We then renew our minds with what the Bible says about prayer and its benefit in our lives. We renew our minds studying the different types of prayer, the examples of prayer in the scriptures, how God uses prayer to help us understand his will and that his ways are better. We renew our minds how prayer becomes the very fellowship for which we often yearn. We renew our minds in what the Bible says concerning these things, to learn of the things for which we should be praying. We learn from the scriptures to discipline ourselves to achieve the goals that we set for improving our prayer life. And upon renewing our minds with all that the Bible says, we put on a decision to systematically improve our prayer life. To pray for the things that God wants, including the missionaries that our church is supporting. To pray for the loss of those countries, for the projects and the ministries put into place to give them the gospel. To be informed so as to render our prayer life pertinent and relevant. And lastly, giving. It's oftentimes a whole lot of things to put off in this area. Maybe we need to put off feelings of keeping our own stuff, put off feelings of selfishness and wanting to keep all for ourselves, putting off indifference towards the needs of others, putting off the ignoring and neglecting of God's plan for financing his church and the propagation of his gospel around the world. And we jump into the scriptures, recognizing that we've had these negative reactions and we renew our minds with what the Bible says about God owning all things. We renew our minds in recognizing that the scriptural principles concerning the financial support of God's work. We renew our minds with the scriptural principle that God is a debtor to no one, that giving is his way of imparting his blessings on us, that giving provides a way for us to be significantly and substantially involved in the salvation of souls and the establishment of local churches. We renew our mind with what the Bible says in that much of what we will receive at the judgment seat of Christ will be dependent on our attitudes and our actions concerning our own personal finances. And in renewing our mind in these scriptural principles, we put on an understanding of stewardship. We put on an understanding of biblical principles concerning finances and our use of them. We put on specific decisions as to how we are going to render our spending in conformance with God's will. We put on specific decisions as to how we can keep those things, uh, how we can help those who are in need. Uh, specific decisions as to how we will render ourselves obedient to God in our giving to our church and to missions because it is, in fact, his money. So again, we looked at Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. We saw in verse 1, we must be a complete sacrifice. We must, and it's reasonable. It's very reasonable, and it's for our own good. And we're, we're foolish to think otherwise. And how can we do that? We do that by this process here that we have. We are paying attention to what's going on in our minds. We are paying attention to what we're doing in life. And when we identify something that must not be there, we do exactly that. We identify it. We recognize it with God. God, I'm seeing this. I know I'm doing this. We get into the Word, literally studying it, 
a time-oriented project in the Word to refresh our minds as to what God has said about this, and then we make the appropriate decisions. And if, in fact, we are faithful in this, we will be faithful as a complete sacrifice for the Lord Jesus Christ.